Hopefully, yes, there we go. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, an espresso coffee and a croissant, it really starts your day off um, well. So I'm sorry. Uh, so I had to show that picture. And uh, um, yes, okay. So I um, wanted to just give a quick, here we go. How did I get here? How did my wife and I get to where we are? Um, because I was not formatted to do this. Uh, my entire family are accountants, and I am the black sheep of the family. Uh, I never liked accounting, sorry. Uh, I know how to read a spreadsheet, but it's, it just was never meant for me. Um, so I uh, actually uh, was a trainer in a long-term healthcare facility uh, prior to all this, and through a variety of means that the Lord used because he knew what he wanted to do with my life more than I did. And he used the elders of a, of a church that we were attending who had the courage to come to me, uh, the sort of prideful young person that I was, and said, you don't belong here. We believe God has something better for you. And you need to go back to school. That started my wife and I on a trajectory uh, which led to us finally ending up in France. Along the way, I was able to have the privilege of working along Carl Spackman. Some of you may have heard of him, longtime pastor at Maple Glen and at Grace Bible Fellowship in Harrisburg. And it was really Carl who, um, there we go, it was really Carl who uh, inputted into many of us uh, the joy and also the competencies of being able to do the ministry that God had entrusted to us. So um, I like to say that uh, I have a day job and I have a night job, okay? I've been in France 34 years, uh, so obviously uh, have some level of uh, adaptation to the culture so that many of my friends uh, trust us uh, to be able to participate with them in the ministry. So the day job is I'm the international director of a mission that's called World Team. I'm sent out both by World Team and the Bible Fellowship Board of Missions. Uh, my night job is I am locally involved, my wife and I both, in uh, the original church plant where we interned 30 years ago. Uh, the pastor re retired, uh, the, uh, many of the leaders left, and the church found itself with no leadership. And we were already in the church just as members, and so I suddenly found myself back in as the head elder. Uh, not something that I was wanting to do, um, because there's lots of other things to do. But I'm not sure you can see that picture very well, but we have 17 nationalities represented in our church. Uh, so we had just hired a young French pastor. You can't see, he's sitting kind of in the back. Uh, that's very unusual. We have, uh, there's a Vietnamese fella. There is a uh, guy from Congo. Uh, it's just a variety of people, okay? So our church... Um, just so you know, we're out of sync here. We're, we're working on it in the back. So okay, okay. You yeah, you can all turn around and look in the back, and that's... <laughs> All right, well, I can talk about it without even showing the pictures until you, until you signal me that it's okay. Um, anyway, our church, like you, went through COVID. Um, we had a rented space. We were no longer able to have that. From one day to the next, we went entirely to Zoom, um, which was something. Uh, and since that time, we've come back and coming right out of Zoom, we baptized two young people. Uh, 
there's some follow Jesus. And 75, 80% of you don't believe in Jesus. So it's something to be able to stand up in front of a crowd like this and say, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to follow him. So we're actually now looking forward to, okay, now, we're, now that's out of sync with that. So I'm going to have to do this, okay? So uh, that's some of the people from our church, but we're going to baptize five people uh, in the month of May. Uh, I don't know for Pastor Dan, but for us, that's huge. We are 80 to 100 people. That is a large church for France. Um, we pack out and we're looking for a space. So if you're uh, wanting to, there's, oh, that's the gal that we baptized. Okay, so now nothing's moving. <laughs> I'm not sure whether this is all set up. Okay, well, I can still do it without. Um, and if you want to pray for us in that local, then uh, we ask you to pray for those five people that are being baptized in the month of May. The second is we're going to hold a... Whoops. Let's see. Okay, let's see if I can go back. I'm watching in the front and in the back. And it's like, okay. If you want to pray... For us to pray for the people being baptized, we have a, a uh, church retreat that we're actually going to hold over the weekend of Easter. And then we are training leaders. There are no young leaders in our church. Um, I don't consider myself young anymore. I wish I could. Um, but uh, we don't have any trained leaders, and we're trying to do that over the next two years. And we need a building. Um, you know, I don't know, you said uh, if you break it, you pay for it. I would take this young man. Um, so we would take this building. Uh, folks, we, we don't have a building. We don't have a location like this, okay? And you have something that the Lord's blessed you with, and that's what we keep praying for. Uh, so pray with us in that regard. <clears throat> so let me move on to global, which is my day job. In other words, I live in France, but I travel the world in order to oversee um, our I've got to look both ways now, uh, in order to oversee both uh, of our local ministries and our larger ministries. So the thing that you need to hear and what you'll find out as I hopefully get to the message is that we are gospel-centered. There's nothing that will keep you overseas or wherever you may be if it's not the gospel. Uh, because that's the only thing. If the gospel is not good news for you, it will not be good news for the people you're talking to. So um, we have a, a host of things that we're involved in. So um, we uh, have a, an, I'm overseen by a, an international board, which is made up of people from all over the world. Um, that's in the far right-hand corner. Uh, in the far left-hand corner is one of the young leaders that we're training. Over the last three years, we've trained 30 young emerging leaders within our mission. Okay, and uh, we have them come for two years. We, 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 they, they, they will participate in two different uh, week-long intensive uh, times, as well as be mentored, as well as small group discussion. So the fellow in the upper right corner is a Moldovan uh, who actually works with us. He's being trained. You'll see me down in the, in the bottom. We're, it's a very interactive uh, sessions. And then in the bottom, 
Other side is uh, all the people that were tr are being trained in the latest group that we have. And again, that's a multicultural group, people from all over the world. Um, we have six new initiatives that we're starting. That means like many groups, we're trying to partner with others to reach people who, are not, who do not have access to the gospel. Uh, that may seem strange, but there are many peoples who do not have access. There's no Christian among them. So um, we are also bringing all of our people for the first time ever uh, to Asia for a conference. And the goal is to put everybody in the same room at the same time. Now, we've, ne we've never done that. So I know people, well, I know more than most people, but uh, people don't know. They've heard names of people that work in other parts of the world, but they've never sat down and been with them. And we find such a richness when you bring all those people together. So you can pray for that. That is in um, the month of July in Asia. So we're looking for 35 new workers. We're trying to launch those new initiatives, and we just appreciate it if you'd pray for that conference because it's a huge endeavor uh, to try and bring three to 400 people to a location and to be able to run everyone through what we want to do to be able to get them to fellowship as well as profit from time in the Word together. So if you want to you talk to me more, uh, you can come and buy me the espresso coffee that's out in the kitchen there. Um, I did see the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. That's in my top five. I hope it's one of your top fives. Um, this is a great photo, if you don't know this. This is so typically French. Uh, you know, the huge piece of bread running down the street. Normally when my kids did it, they only brought back half the thing because they ate the other half. But you know, this, this statement, Christ died to confound our intuitive assumptions that divine love has an expiration date. He died to prove that God's love is, as Jonathan Edwards put it, an ocean without shores or bottom. God's love is as boundless as God himself. Gentle and Lowly has been translated into French, and I like the French translation better because it says God's love is as infinite as God himself. So just incredible. So let me just... Um, move you over to Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to that because there's a lot of... Um, we only read part of the chapter, so there's a lot of things that you're going to have to pick up as we kind of walk through that. Okay, so I'll just read the first couple of verses and then we'll kind of walk through the narrative together. So Acts chapter 10, just at the very beginning. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known as, who, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, some of you will relate to me because you remember in the old days when the, this was prior to GPS, uh, and we had those things called tom-toms. Did anybody ever have one of those? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Prior to that, yes, in the dark ages, we had what we called a map. Now, some of you in here have no idea what that is, okay? But this is a map, okay? And a map was very important. You had, when you're going on a trip, you would actually take that map out, and if you were, like my family, accountants, very organized, you would plan out your route before you got there. 
so that you would know where you were going. Okay? Uh, the trouble was, once you got in the car, uh, you couldn't hold the map because you couldn't drive the car while you're holding the map. So there was no GPS, no telephone to put up on the thing. You didn't have that. So you had to depend on someone sitting next to you to guide you, right? Some people are already laughing because they know that the person sitting next to them was not the best map reader, okay? So my son-in-law and daughter, both engineers, came one summer to visit us in France, and we were in southern France, and we wanted to visit this village, which is called, okay, Madiron. Okay, you gotta, it's gotta come from back of your throat, okay? Madiron, okay, it's a, it's a wonderful little village. And so we took off, and my son-in-law, praise the Lord, sat in the seat next to me. Engineer, okay? And so he says, Dad, he calls me Dad, don't worry, I'll guide you along the way. Okay, great. Now let me just give you a few of the uh, directions that he gave me while he read the map. Okay, so we're off trying to get to this village lost. I mean, some villages are lost. They, there's no paved road, okay? So here's my son-in-law. At the next intersection, in about 400 meters, you're gonna to wanna to turn right. You need to be careful as you turn and take that new road because there are several speed bumps just after the turn. Next, you're gonna see some high tension wires, and when you see those, you're gonna turn slightly to the left on the D205. About five kilometers later, you're going to hit the D317, and then you turn right and head towards the village of ID. None of you are laughing. I thought I was sitting next to a human GPS. <laughs> I could not understand. Where was he pulling this stuff from? He's an engineer. Now, the book of Acts, whether you know it or not, is a kind of map of the work of Christ as it breaks into the lives of people from different backgrounds and different cultures. Okay, you know what I mean when I say culture? I don't just mean people who look different from you. Cultures are, are uh, a culture is made up of different, is made up of values, assumptions, ideas, ways of doing things. Okay, so you can look very much the same, but be from a different culture. All right? So, Acts is a map of how that gospel breaks across different boundaries and reaches into different cultures. Okay, the disciples, though, just like us, were not aware of the speed bumps, the high tension wires, the curves, the everything as they went along. They discovered it and learned with God along the way. Now, the key is the map tells you that this thing that you're part of is not just global, it's not just universal, it's made up of a host of different cultures. And so what I'm going to do is just kind of walk you through those three things, that God is already present in every culture, God is bringing people from all cultures to himself, and you need the gospel, we need the gospel, as much as the people who hear it for the first time. All right? So, oh boy. It's going, okay, so let's go there. Okay, first, God is already present. Verses one to four, if you're looking, it's the verses that I read or, uh, at the very start. The question, though, is who would really believe this story? Not the readers. You and I believe the story, but not the readers. The, the readers were already shocked by the fact that we're talking about a Roman soldier. Cornelius 
really wasn't just a simple soldier. He was a leader. He was a captain. He was an officer of a group of 100 soldiers who made up a cohort. And 10 cohorts made up a legion, the famous Roman legion. Now, important as he may have been, he was an enemy of the people of God. He represented the invading army into the country. He was a religious man, verse 2, okay? But he is described as someone who feared God, verse 2 as well. In other words, he sought to follow God through certain practices and ways that the Jews around him were, were doing, but he was an outsider. Oh boy, we're going to get this right. Yeah. There we go. He was an outsider. In other words, he was not circumcised. He was not like the Jews who were with him, who feared God, and he tried to follow their practices. See, Jewish law, there we go, forbade a Jew to eat with a Gentile, to enter a Gentile's house, or to offer hospitality to a Gentile. So that's why I say, who could believe this story? Not the readers. Because we're talking about someone, oh boy, up, 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 up. They're working on that. All right. Anyway, I'll just try to pick it up from there. So the fact that I said that he was not allowed to be present, he wouldn't, he couldn't, Cornelius could not be invited in to a Gentile home, uh, to a Jewish home, nor could a Jew come in and have a meal with him. Okay, so here we go. We'll try it again. You know, people are taking notes. This is really good because you'll get it several times. <laughs> about the ninth hour of the day Cornelius saw clearly in the vision an angel of God who said to him Cornelius and he stared at the angel in terror and said what is it Lord see for you and I that's just a straight reading of the narrative but for the readers of the day they were shocked by this statement they were like wait a minute how can our God talk to an uncircumcised Gentile and and not only that but call him by his first name that's just that's out of their box it's not possible let me give you, uh, you know, Peter, Luke will make reference later on uh, to the skepticism that occurred when he says, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Chapter 10, verse 45. I'm almost afraid to look behind me. Okay, so let me give you a more recent example of this. Okay, I attended a conference in South Africa. And at the conference, a speaker shared this story. A Christian couple was traveling from one city to another across the desert in a Middle Eastern country that is known to be hostile to believers. Halfway through, they stopped at a shop to get some water. Outside the shop was a bearded man, armed, guarding the shop. The wife turned to the husband and said, I believe the Lord wants us to give that man a Bible. The husband looked at the bearded man, looked at his gun, looked back at his wife and said, I don't think that's a good idea. No, she said, I think it's important that we offer this man a Bible. And she put a Bible in her husband's hand. The husband got out of the car, went into the shop. The bearded man followed the man into the shop. The husband came out of the shop. The bearded man followed him out of the shop and took his post again in front of the store. The husband got back in the car with the Bible still in his hands. So, 
what would you have done in that situation? See, each of us, whether you know it or not, in your mind, has a picture of someone that annoys you. And that you, in your mind, think that person, those people, could never come to Christ. That's what these believers were thinking when they read this story. And it starts out all about Cornelius. So how do you see God's hand? How do you see his presence in every culture? Okay. You see how God has revealed himself as he goes through the book. That's why I said it's a roadmap. Starts out, Jews come to Christ. Next, stage two, Jews living in the diaspora. Those are people who, who are Jews, but have been raised in another culture. Okay? My children are American, but they were raised in France. They look like Americans, but they don't think like Americans. That's the second group. They come to Christ. Then the third group are people that are outside of that, that aren't even part of the covenant people, and suddenly they start to show interest, spiritual interest, and move towards Christ. The further you read into the book of Acts, the more multicultural it becomes. The more variety of cultural peoples show up. It's as almost as if you know, God is just trying to help you see how he brings these people together into one group. Now, what's happening, of course, if you read the narrative, there's two stories that end up converging, right? So we read the story that starts out with Cornelius, the whole thing, his vision. At the same time, God is talking to Peter. And so you're bringing these two stories together, and then boom, suddenly there's Peter up on the roof, and guys are knocking at his door. Two stories converge. Two different people coming from two different cultures with two different worldviews. And God wants to make a church out of two different peoples. Now, if you don't think it's important, they thought it was important because they repeat the story in chapter 11, verse 1 to 18. The fact that God shows that two different people from two different worldviews, from two different cultures, both need the gospel means that outsiders as well as insiders need the mercy and grace of God. We need the grace and mercy of God as much as those who are outside and do not know Christ need the mercy and grace of God. But you can also see God's hand when you begin to think about why is it so hard for me to like those people? Peter wasn't a bad person, okay? He had been transformed into an incredibly courageous individual when he met the resurrected Christ. But that did not mean that from one day to the next, he became the perfect, impeccable character that he, that he should be. He was growing like all of us. And we grow as we take that curve and that speed bump and we see this and God still remains faithful to help us learn. Now, when you cross a culture, whether it's here in the States and you meet someone who is different from you, there is a richness because you can learn something from that culture that helps you appreciate more the culture that you come from, as well as help you realize that your culture is not the end all. The French have taught me an incredible amount about fellowship. Now, when people laugh at this, but you know, when we have a, a church, church dinner, it normally lasts how long? An hour, hour and a half? 
Okay, it's all afternoon for us. Okay, you probably leave about six or seven in the evening. And you're like, what do you guys do? It's crazy. No, the French, see, they believe that all your conversation happens around the table. And good food means good conversation. Bad food means bad conversation. Okay, we, we don't, we're not against that. What we do is we eat and then we go off to another room and have conversation. Okay, the French stay at the table. Yes, we taught our children to sit for five hours at the table. Now, you may think that's crazy, but that's another way of, there's a richness. You're sitting there and someone says to you, I don't understand why, what, what is this thing you're talking about, this spiritual stuff? I know I've got four hours in front of me. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah, let's go. You know, that's what I mean. There's, there's a richness, something that's different. It's okay. Um, what it does, and when you think about this, it should cause you to move towards others who are different. When you realize there's a richness there that you can learn and you can offer. Okay. So it's amazing that if you look at verses 19 to 20, the ones that were read earlier, Okay, behold, three men are looking for you, Peter. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, all of Peter's prejudices could have kept him from making that move, but he didn't. He went without hesitation. Okay, so that's the first thing. God is already present in every culture in some way or another, okay? But God is bringing all cultures, uh, people from all different cultures to himself, and, you know, I mean, prideful, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that was Peter. We all know Peter, and we all say, that's Peter. But we have a hint of that pride in each of us. But you know how Peter's very strong every time he meets up with the Lord? You know, here he says, oh, no, Lord, I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. Drops this thing three times and says, go, eat. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 no. That's not the first time that Peter said that, right? He said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you, Matthew 16. Or Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Wash my feet. You know, never, never is exaggerated language. It means that you want to demonstrate that I know better than you. So never say never. Um, you know, but I don't like to pick on Peter because I don't know whether Peter thought maybe God was testing him as to his level of obedience, or maybe God was just trying to put his finger on the real source of his problem, which was his own heart. That he couldn't see past his own pride to see that there are other people around who I want to bring to myself. What it reminds us is that Pride lurks at every moment. You know, God says he's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So pride is especially present when we enter into relationship with others. Uh, what we learn is that there, it's more than just a change of attitude or thought. It's, it's concrete actions that, that come from the heart. Now remember, no Jew could enter a Gentile home, and no Jew could offer hospitality to a Gentile. So what does he say in verse 23? He invited those people in to his home for the night. Can you imagine the neighborhood? They must have gone crazy. 
Did you know what happened? Did you hear what happened? P- Peter invited these people in. He's, he's housing them for the night. Now, we could ask ourselves, how many times have you invited someone who is different from you, who's from another culture than you? And remember, again, when I say culture, it doesn't mean just someone who looks different. I was raised in an Irish Protestant clan. My relatives just got off the boat and landed in Philadelphia. So you want me to do the Irish thing? I can do it. But never, never would we associate with Irish Catholics. See, they look like us. See, so that's what I'm saying. That was a different culture. But my great aunt, she crossed that culture. She said, I do not understand why I can't go to that person. Of course, that was, you know, a big to-do in the family. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how you can, can be blinded by things. And, and we need to recognize that, that God is working in some way to help us to grow. Um, the multicultural nature of the universal church is a kind of spiritual greenhouse where your plant is planted next to some exotic plant from Mozambique, which is planted next to someone who's from Scotland and so forth. But when you allow all of those cultures to begin to help you grow and understand, there's a richness to all that. All right. I'm going to just skip by that because that's because of all the let's go back let's go to the third piece okay so god is already present in every culture in some way or another remember he's the creator of the universe he's the creator of all different cultures and he is also bringing people from all different cultures to himself but finally we need to we need the gospel as much as those who hear it for the first time so peter opened his mouth verse 33 to 36 and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now, I would, I would guarantee you that Brother Jerry and Pastor Dan would just die for an opportunity like this right? This is the evangelistic opening that every one of us wants. Under the watchful eye of the sovereign God, the Lord lays on Peter's heart, you go to this place, and he says, verse 33, now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded of by the Lord. Wow. (laughs) I don't normally get that um, from French people, Um, but here, Peter got this. And all those who had come, remember Cornelius sent for Peter, but then he invited a whole group of friends. And they all were there gathered and just, they're like, we're waiting, okay. You know, and Peter shows up. He really doesn't know why he's there. You know, the Lord sent him there. But now he has to share what is on his hearts. Now, you read down uh, in the passage that Cornelius sends his servants to find Peter. And Peter is uh, staying in a town called Joppa. Does that ring a bell for anyone? We've got some shaking heads, yes, okay. 
Joppa was, you can say it out loud, it's okay. Jonah. Okay, so if the Tower of Babel and Pentecost, Pentecost was the reversal of the Tower of Babel, where Babel, God spread out people to all different tongues and languages, and the Pentecost brought them all back. Is this story the reversal of the poor decision of Jonah? Because Jonah, remember when he got the call, he, he left and tried to get out of there. Peter gets the call and he goes to share all that he had been commanded by the Lord. So a nationalistic and revengeful spirit caused Jonah to see others who were different from him as a threat and not as worthy of the grace and mercy of God. So you could say, we're right back to the start. Who sent Peter to Cornelius? God. Who tried to send Jonah to Nineveh? God. Who creates the thing that we call church, what we're here to doing today? God. God is the center He is the whole purpose. So therefore, Peter, um, when his message, what he does is he goes right at that. He puts Jesus right back in the center because there is only one central message. So verses 34 to 43 was sort of an early declaration of faith. Thank you, Brian, for the responsive reading. Made me feel my liturgical background. So we also used to do, in my growing up years, a sort of, you would read a statement, a confession. And this is what 34 to 43 is. It's confession of the faith. So watch. There's only one Lord for all peoples. Jesus Christ, verse 36. God, in Jesus Christ, came into the world and lived among us, verses 37 to 38. God, the Son, was crucified, verse 39, and then was raised from the dead, verse 40. If you read the other verses, there are eyewitnesses to this event. Freedom, forgiveness is offered and received by putting our trust in Him, the only one person capable of fulfilling all of God's requirements. The interesting thing is that the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it, yet so deep that you and I cannot get to the bottom of it. But before Peter finishes speaking, read the text, the Spirit falls on these people and they start praising God in all different languages. So it wasn't Peter, it was the message of the gospel that transformed these people's lives. So you could say that it's the words that came alive by the Spirit that changed these people. And those same words should come alive in our hearts every time we get together so that we, are, we remember that it's not about us. <laughs> and the amazing thing is that wrecks that we are, God still chooses to use us. I, 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 that just, it's an incredible thought. How would a holy God want to use us? But that's what he's doing in Acts. He's uprooting pride and unbelief to show us that he is at the center and he will do something with us, whether it's here or it's somewhere around the world. Now, Gentle and Lowly is, uh, is, a, is a great book, as I said. There is another book called Deeper, uh, and deeper I'm, um, I'm into as well because I just 
it just makes you stop and think. And that's all I'm trying to do for us today is to stop and think about what God is calling us to do. So here's a quote. What I want to say is that the love of God is not something to see once and believe and then move beyond to other truths or strategies for growing in Christ. The love of God is what we feed on our whole lives long, wading ever more deeply into this endless ocean. And that feeding, that wading, is itself what fosters growth. You see that? He's, the more we know God's love, that will cause us to grow. We grow in Christ no further than we enjoy his embrace of us. Now, some of you, that may not hit you. Others, yes. But I just always think of Rembrandt. He's a painter. Famous painting in the Louvre Museum of the prodigal son. And it's the embrace of the father around the son that just is the power in that painting. But here he is, you know, Dane Ortland is just putting his finger on that need that we have to every day think and remember that the Father embraces us. Okay, so I said it really is a universal and multicultural fellowship, but that is often blocked by pride and unbelief. But we have to face and confront those each and every day in order to live in the richness of this fellowship, which includes people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures. Now, you remember the story, right? The husband and wife traveling across the desert, and the husband, and they stop at the shop, and there's the bearded man with the gun, and, um, and the wife says, we need to give that man a Bible, and the husband refuses, and so now they're off continuing their travels through the desert. Um, the wife presses her husband. She wants to know why he would not give that Bible to that man, because the Lord had laid this on her heart. A friendly marital dispute occurred. <laughs> to which the husband replied, if you want me to die, I will. And he did a U-turn and went back. He went back, he parked, he got out, he took the Bible. The bearded man with the gun was still there. He went up to the man. He handed the man the Bible. The man took the Bible and he kissed it on both sides. And he said, I am not from here. Three days ago, I had a dream. And in that dream, a man told me to come to this shop and wait for someone to give me the book of life. Thank you for giving me the book of life. That man was martyred for his faith five years later. Now, I know. You know, you and I will probably never find ourselves in that situation. Okay? However, the principle still holds. Okay? That God is building a community of disciples made up of people from every nation, culture, and language. And we can join him. We don't have to cross an ocean. We can join him in this project by taking a small step. Baby steps. My son-in-law said, Dad, you just need to turn slightly to the left on the D205. 
just, it may be just be a slight left, something you haven't done before. I often say, you want to see the world? Go to Walmart. <laughs> and the later you go, the more of the world you see. <laughs> Folks, there are people lost without Christ, and they're here. And we have the opportunity to bridge that gap. One of my friends, Muslim background believer in France, told me once that in all his growing up years, he had never been invited to a non-Muslim home for a meal. Uh, you know, I, I know that may be hard for some of us, but maybe it's you know, inviting someone that's just another culture over from you. But we have the opportunity. And it's just, like I said, it's a baby step. So the question is, what will your next step be? What can you do? And like I said, I'm not talking about getting on a plane and going over to Spain or Italy. You know, do you know someone? Is there someone in your neighborhood who you know just arrived from Slovakia or wherever? Could you go over and just introduce yourself, help them? The greatest thing that my non-Christian French neighbor did for me was help me navigate life in France. I had a daughter who was sick. I didn't know what to do. He walked me through the whole process. He's a non-Christian, and I had many opportunities to share the gospel with him. He hasn't come to Christ yet, but he knows where I stand. But he became a friend to me. And I think, wow, non-Christian made that effort. Now, as I said, I will show my liturgical roots. And um, I grew up learning catechisms. This isn't, uh, you know, some of you may have done that, some of you may not. Catechisms are simply taking a huge amount of biblical knowledge and verses and putting them into very concise statements. Okay, so Heidelberg Catechism is one of my favorites. It, um, it is in French, it is in several other languages. Okay, and so here's the question I want to just leave you with. This is the question that you ask, you know, a child. What is true faith? Wow, that's a really good question. Okay, so here's the answer. True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. You see the, you see the depth of that in all the Bible verses that are standing behind that? At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. The faith, the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. The only thing that will get you up and out of bed every morning is knowing that God loves you. When I said this statement, I've, I memorized it in French. When I said this statement to our church in France, dead silence. I said it again because I thought maybe they didn't understand. <laughs> and so I said it again. And from the back of the church, this one guy stands up and he says, wow. Wow, where did you get that? That is so powerful. I said, that's God's word. Just taking God's word, condensing it into a statement. But it just struck them 
So that's what I'm saying. When you work with other cultures, people around you who are different from you, it may be just your way of coming at it that might help open a door for them. It's not a big step, a small step. So what's your small step that you can take? Let's pray. Father, we know that you are the one who is Lord over all. You're Lord over technology. You're Lord over our, what we say, what we share. And we give you grace. We give you praise for the grace that you have demonstrated to us in Christ. May you use us. May you help us to reach out to those around us who do not know you and who are lost, who may be from other cultures. And may, as we sang earlier, may all the nations praise you. May people from every tribe, tongue, and nation be able to stand up and sing your praises. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.